We are continuing our Advent series uh, this morning that we've called Missing Peace. Uh, that the, the idea or the concept of peace is something we are wired, created, designed to desire. But when we look around us, and sometimes even when we look within us, there seems to be some missing peace. And I think one of the ways that that's revealed sometimes is through some of y'all's super fakey Christmas cards you send us. Because your family don't never look like that. Like, we know you, right? Like the perfect children smiling adorably. And we're like, no. Two seconds ago, he was eating a booger. Like, we are not falling for it. And like, before we had kids, we might have been like, that's what our, our family's going to look like for Christmas, Right? And so eight years ago in 2012, we went down to Sundance Square and waited in line so that we could see the Santa who was down there in Sundance Square so that we could get one of y'all's perfect, peaceful pictures, right? Because we just wanted to experience that. And instead, we got this reality. That's real life. I mean... Like, that's the reality. Now, we actually got him to stop crying for 10 seconds. We took the fake picture, and that's what got shared on social media. By the way, the fact that they're all wearing Florida Gator garb and that he's crying really matches our souls today, if you saw the game last night. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, good, let's not talk about it. And so I was... I was I was showing this picture to somebody this past week, and I'm like, yeah, this is what life looks like when you have boys, and you try to get the perfect picture. And Blake was standing there over here in the conversation, and he's like, nah, it's not just boys. And then he texts me this, this picture. Okay, so yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty mutual. But those are real pictures of what Christmas often feels like. And by the way, every other day of the year and every, every, moment, every other moment of the year when we're raising kids, right? There's, when it comes to the perfect picture, no crying he makes. Like the songs we sing, you know, a silent night. Like, no, not in our house. Like, it's just not there. Sometimes we just feel like we're missing peace, right? And, and the fact is it actually kind of gets sadder than that because the Christmas season really is not welcomed by Santa at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. What really welcomes Christmas into our culture is Black Friday. And the fact is there's like historical data being collected every year of murders on Black Friday. Like for real, like just in the last 10 years, since 2010, there's been 11 people murdered on Black Friday. Like, not because of some family, whatever. I mean, like, shopping. Like, something broke out with them shopping. Is that crazy to you? And, and it's not just people who died. Well, what about people who are injured? 99 people in the last 10 years have been criminally injured on Black Friday. Is that insane? What that reveals is clearly we are missing some peace, right? And in this series, what we've talked about each week, if you're new or just joining us or just logging online, we've talked about how that they say there are 790 verses in the Bible that talk about peace. And some of them talk about peace with God, spiritual peace. And some of them talk about peace within ourselves, emotional peace. And some of them talk about peace with others, relational peace, peace among us, right? 
But then there's this one beautiful idea of peace that captures all three. It's the idea of human flourishing. It's the idea of wholeness. And it's the word shalom. It's how the prophecy introduces this baby who would be born in a manger, that he will be the prince of shalom. And we've talked a lot the first two weeks of this series about spiritual peace and emotional peace. But we haven't talked as much about relational peace. This morning, we're going to more talk about how spiritual peace and emotional peace are connected to peace among us, peace around us. And so I invite you to grab your Bible this morning. Um, we, we're going to say a creed together before we dive in and a, a prayer before we jump into these pages. And so we invite you, even if you're at home online, man, say this out loud with us because we think that our terminology helps inform our theology. And so let's be clear about where all this is coming from this morning. And those of you who are in the room, let's lead the way and set a good example here this morning. Hold up our Bibles and let's declare this together. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now, I I know it makes me a dinosaur, but I'm using like an old school paper Bible today, right? And and before Matthew chapter 1, in this particular Bible is something pretty cool. Like in this Bible, Malachi, the Old Testament ends, and there's this half-blank page where the Old Testament ends. I just think it's cool. And and then there's this, this page that all it says is the New Testament, right? But then you turn that page, and behind it is just a straight up blank page. Like there's nothing There, And I love that that's how this Bible is printed because that's a a pretty cool example of historically what was happening. There was a blank page. For over 400 years, there was no message from God, no prophecy about salvation, no angel appearing giving a message of hope. For 400 years, all these prophecies that had been given just turned into crickets, turned into a blank page, turned into silence. 400 years like this, this crazy experiment called the United States of America. We're only 244 years old, right? Almost double the lifespan of our nation. Where is God? Some of us have had seasons in 2020 where we're like, what's God up to in all of this? Imagine 400 years of God. What are you doing? And then Christmas, (laughs) Then this story that we focus on this time of year. Matthew chapter 1 begins with uh, the genealogy of Jesus. And there's some awesome truths to be gleaned from that. We've talked about it in years in the past. And if God lets me to continue to be your pastor, I'm sure we'll talk about it in years for the future. But we're going to skip the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 18 and get straight to the Christmas story, which says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. We're diving into the story. Here it is. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, if you're new to church or new to the Bible, this idea of betrothal, some people compare it to engagement. That's not a great comparison, but we don't actually have a comparison in Western life of what betrothal is. We don't, we don't have that. 
Betrothal would have been if there was a bride price, it had already been paid. Living arrangements had already been secured. The, the, the marriage was totally committed. There just hadn't been the ceremony and the consummation. But it was legally binding. Here's the best way I can compare it to you. Not engagement. It would be as if the marriage license was already signed and post-dated. You know what I mean? All you young people are like, what's, a, what's post-dated mean? Because y'all ain't never wrote a check before. I mean, like, can I write this for a date in the future? It'd be like the marriage license is already sealed, signed, and recorded for a future date. Which is why the word divorce is going to be used a little later in the text. This, this thing is secure. So they're, they're betrothed. She'd been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. And that means like before they came together to um, be with child. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And, and let me just say this as we're reading. I think sometimes we've so spiritualized these stories and maybe even dramatized these stories that we've dehumanized these stories. Joseph didn't read the end of the story first. His betrothed was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Okay. And the thing is, we know that Joseph like was a good educated, studious Jewish boy. But the Holy Spirit's not talked about a whole lot in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. So even with that, it's like the Holy who? What? Like we just sang, what the gladsome tidings be? Like, I bet he dropped some what the gladsome tidings be. Um, verse 19, I've just ruined that song for the rest of your life. Verse 19, her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You know, historically, the law taught that if you became pregnant outside of the bounds of marriage, you would actually be executed. Um, Historians don't think that was actually being practiced at this time. But at least in a shame-based culture, there would have been massive embarrassment. And by the way, not just to Mary, but to him, right? Because if he was like, I know my betrothed got pregnant, but it's not mine, it's the Holy Spirit's. Right. That that's not going to fly any better with everybody else than it probably is with his heart at this moment. So there's also, I think, some self-protection from shame here. Verse number 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. We're going to circle back to that verse a little later. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 7, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. By the way, why did Matthew insert that little, hey, this fulfills the prophecy? It's, it's for the reason that I've mentioned each week in our Advent series, and God willing, we'll mention next week too, and that is this. He's reminding us this is for real. This isn't fantasy, magic, fairy tale. This is fulfillment of actual prophecies in an actual baby, in an actual moment of time, in an actual place. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but did not know her until she had given birth to a son. 
And he did what he was told. He called his name Jesus. I think it's so interesting that, again, if we if we'll allow this story to be as human as it was, we realize that this promise of peace, this prince of peace, was born into profound relational chaos. Not the happy, magical halo thing that we see in some nativity scenes, but complete family drama. How fitting that the prince who would restore peace with God and peace within ourselves also came into a moment there where there was not peace among us, an unplanned pregnancy. Back in that time, society considered that to be a negative thing. Not, not quite as much nowadays. I, I think God still considers that not his plan. Unplanned pregnancy. And not just an unplanned pregnancy, false accusations. Right? Because Mary's like, like, I know what I've done and I haven't done. Like, an angel appeared to me and I'm pregnant. And then for Joseph, there's this, this betrayal, this feeling of absolute betrayal and shame and embarrassment. There's also economic repercussions. There's a financial insecurity here because we have to believe, historically, the bride price would have already been paid. He already would have established a home for them. So to divorce her means he's got to start back over. And again, let's not forget the word divorce is in this text. This isn't, oh, I'm call- give me my ring back. This is a legal divorce. So the Prince of Peace is born into a relationship that's marked by betrayal, accusation, unplanned pregnancy, and threats of divorce. Don't nudge your spouse right now. We're like, okay, I get it. And there's this this tension with people. People are going to talk smack. So Joseph, we usually say, was a carpenter. It's more like he was a tradesman. Really, probably a better example for us in our modern vernacular would be a construction worker. And I don't know if you've worked around construction workers, but like when your fiance gets pregnant, your construction worker buddy isn't going to be like, I'm so sorry you feel that way. He's going to be like, bro, yeah, it was the Holy Spirit. Like, what are they going to talk about? What, what's going to be the message and the, the story around them, the scandal that this would be? There's this unknown future. We have to start over. By the way, all their plans ended up changing. They're already under financial constraint because this whole idea of, hey, we know we're about to have to travel to Bethlehem for the census. Well, the census wasn't like the census we just did where it's like, who are you? Where do you live? Who's in your house? Their census was just an opportunity to pay taxes. So there's already this financial burden on them, let alone all the implications of what if, what if this turns into a divorce And then the plan is, okay, well, we're going to go establish our life here. And then they get redirected to North Africa, probably around Egypt. And then they're like, okay, now we'll go back to Bethlehem. And God's like, no, you have to go to Nazareth and start all over there. Man, all their plans are just falling apart left and right. Hashtag 2020. It's chaos. What next? No doubt. He had some doubts. And it's the in the midst of all this chaos. That the Prince of Peace is born. And I believe right now, what I've seen among our culture and in the folks who've been honest to me about where their marriages are at today, and I think we need a visitation 
from the Prince of Peace. Man, I feel like there's a lot of chaos to the right and the left when I look around today. A lot of heartbreak, a lot of sorrow. There's people in this room who are grieving today. I, I got to be honest, I, I think the saddest thing about all of the 2020 mess, the saddest thing is this understandable reality that hospitals are restricting visitors. And so literally people are, are coming up on their last moments without the opportunity to say goodbye to loved ones. That's the hardest part of all this. And in the midst of this, I still believe that peace was born into this world for us. And when we look in the life of Joseph, I think we see some steps to peace. We're going to look at three things in the text, and then we'll be done this morning. And the first one is this. Joseph's path to peace came from listening to a word from God. Verse number 20, it says Joseph was considering these things, right? It's kind of like having a conversation with himself, right? Who's the Holy Spirit? I'm going to kick that guy's, you know, what? like, who is this again? For real, that's God? I don't know. What does that mean? What kind of fool am I going to look like? He's having a conversation with himself. But then a messenger, the word angel just means messenger. A messenger comes with a message from God himself. He came and spoke to Joseph. You know, and it's funny, when I think about the human turmoil of Joseph in that moment, what am I going to do? 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 What are all the repercussions? Can you imagine the legal pad of pros and cons, right? And there's this piece of me that's like, Joseph, just go read Luke chapter 2. There's going to be a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Shepherds will confirm this later on. Magi will come. Dude, just go read Luke chapter 2. But here's the thing. There was no Luke chapter 2. He was living Luke chapter 1. Like he was living the New Testament. He couldn't go read it. But here's the amazing thing about peace among us. We can go read Luke chapter 2. We actually do have God's word available to us now. And when we go and examine God's word, what it does is it doesn't change the tension in our relationship, but it absolutely changes our perspective of it. When I read God's word, it brings clarity to who I am and who they are and of what's really going on between us. Not it flips a switch and all of a sudden it's like, oh, that hurtful thing doesn't hurt anymore. No, no, no. It just brings a different perspective that's what the word of the lord does for us and we have it available like we don't have to wait for an angel to appear in a dream as a matter of fact if an angel appears to me in a dream i'm gonna be a little freaked out like what did i eat tonight uh, i knew that lasagna had gone bad like what what just happened but we've got god's word right here available to us and and a lot of the people that i talk to who are like man i'm in torment i'm like man are you are you listening to god and they're like well you know Man, I don't believe that spending daily time in God's word makes all of our relationships magically fix. But I just don't believe we have any hope of a fix apart from God's word. Like it might not be the magic light switch, but it is the first step on the path. And so every every year around this time of year, I begin to encourage with the same idea. And that is, man, I encourage you to begin to read God's word every day. 
Even if it's only for a few moments, this is a perfect time of year to say, you know what? I'm not making a New Year's resolution and I'm not going to be like, I'm going to, I'm just going to make this part of my routine and part of my habits. And if I miss a day, I'm not going to beat myself up and, and scourge myself for this. Like we're just going to pick back up the next day. I personally encourage people to pick a yearly Bible and just read through the Bible in a year. And don't do it to check off a box. Don't do it to be more religious than somebody else. And please don't do it to make your life magical. It will not turn your life into a Disney episode, that Disney movie. But it will help change your perspective. I promise. Like even on the days that you do it just to check a box, his word's so powerful it'll wake you up. And so I encourage you, if you don't have the Bible app made by you version, I couldn't encourage you more. Download it. It's a reading plan. There's like a bazillion different reading plans. You can pick one. Just start walking through God's word. If you're like, no, I want the old school paper Bible. We've got three or four, I think, different versions of Bible plan uh, that are yearly reading plans out in the cafe. Go pick one up. Pay whatever you can. It's fine. Just take it. Because I just believe the pathway to peace begins with listening to God's word. But not just listening. Joseph didn't just listen to God's word. He trusted God's word. Verse 24 says, Joseph woke up and did it, (laughs) right? Which you could say Joseph obeyed, right? But you don't obey, but you don't trust. Joseph trusted God. Okay, he's up to something. Joseph did not trust Mary. The pathway to relational peace among you is not to trust people. It is to trust God. We want so bad to trust people who've hurt us. And you know what they're probably going to do again? They're probably going to hurt you again. And you know what you're probably going to do? You're probably going to hurt them again because we're broken people. We're not perfect. We all fall short. We all handle stuff bad. We all have bad days. But we trust in their maker and we love them in their flaws. Joseph didn't trust Mary. He trusted her God. Because you know he had a whole lot of unanswered questions. Like when I read what the angel said, I'm like, surely he said more than that, right? We just didn't write it down. Like surely, like the Christmas song of the year should be, Joseph, did you know? Like, (laughs) what in the world? But he trusted God. And that goes back to kind of what we talked about last week, that we we faith our way to peace. (laughs) God, I'm not feeling this, and I don't fully understand this, but I am going to trust you. Joseph listened to God's word, and he trusted God's word. But then here's where we will part for the rest of our time together. The pathway to peace is found in our need for a Savior. Our mutual, shared Equal need for a savior. The relational conflict that you're in today or that a loved one in your life is in is not the good people versus the bad people. It's not the old Lone Ranger where all the good guys wore the white hats and the bad guys wore the black hats. And you're like, oh, I can tell who the bad guy is. It'd be great if life was that simple, but it's not. We are all fallen and all in need of rescue. We are all broken and all in need of salvation. 
The same promise that was given to Mary, a Savior will save you from your sins. It's given to Joseph, a Savior will save the world from their sins. And they're both like, oh, I need that. Right? The common denominator wasn't the message from the Lord. It was the need for salvation. That's where they found common ground. And friend, that's where we find the path to peace. We're all busted people in need of the same rescue and the same grace. This isn't a I can't believe and I would never and oh, did they? uh, That's gross. And I see it all over the church of Jesus Christ today. I see that kind of judgment all over religion. It doesn't exist anywhere in the story of Jesus, though. We share a need for the Savior, a mutual need for the Savior. The whole beauty of baptism that we witnessed today is not like, oh, look, the spiritual people were baptized. No, it's, oh, the people who are just as dependent on faith in Jesus as us have gone public with their faith. That makes us family. We're all in the we need Jesus family. Like, we're not united by the same interests or the same things. Like, Zeke's a brilliant computer guy. He's explained to me in pretty good detail what he does, and not a word that he said made any sense to me. That's not our bond. That's, that's why. Nicole chooses to teach your children. <laughs> no. No, we do not have that in common. Right? Those of you who are over remote, right? You're like, I don't want to teach my own kids, let alone other people. And that's what her calling is in life. Awesome. That's not what unites us or makes us the same. What makes us family (laughs) is in our worst moment, we were met by the Savior of the world. (laughs) Like that's the uniting factor. And when little things happen, when somebody offends us or hurts our feelings or maybe straight up handles something pretty awful, We're like, yeah, I get it. We're busted. That's what unites us. Like, we're not united in our strengths. (laughs) Like, that's what religion thinks. Religion is like, we are all part of the same religious No, the gospel is like, hey, we're all a dumpster fire. Welcome to my dumpster. How are you? We've met Jesus. Our, Our uniting factor is our shared desperation for the gospel of grace. Rescued by Jesus. The hope of peace in broken relationships is broken honesty. I'm not better than you. I'm not above you. And I want to park here for one second and just say this. In the last few weeks, as a matter of fact, for a month now, a headlining story every day for over a month has been the moral failures of another celebrity pastor from New York City. Dude, he was an amazing communicator of God's word. And it's just another opportunity for me to get to stand up in front of you and say, I don't stand here because I've got something figured out that you don't. I don't stand here because I'm at some different place than you spiritually. We are all broken and in desperate need of the gospel of grace. The only role I stand and, and, and fulfill here is to point you to the same Jesus that I'm desperate for today. In one moment, apart from his grace, I will make a train wreck of my life. I've done it before and I will do it again. Please don't look to me. Please don't look to our staff. Please don't look to this ministry. Please don't look to religion. This is about Jesus. The thing that unites us is the Savior of the world and him alone. He's the celebrity. He's the rock star. He's the reason. He's the point of it all. 
Not a personality or a person. And sure not a dude like me. Maybe you've seen um, some of the the slideshows that have gone viral of letters that kids have written to Santa. I love reading those things. But I saw one a friend shared uh, last week about a little kid that wrote this for real, wrote this letter to Santa. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There's Jeffrey, David, and Norman. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman is good all of the time. P.S. I am Norman. (laughs) Which is kind of like funny and cute, and it also is like such a representation of a lot of religious people. Because here's the newsflash. I'm a whole lot more like Norm from Cheers than Norman the perfect child. You're not Norman. None of us are good all the time. That's why we need a savior, right? Like if we just keep it real, it changes this idea for relationships that it's not the good people versus the bad people. That person that's upset with you, you might be innocent in how you handled this, but let's be really clear. There's only one who's been innocent and his name is Jesus. And and when we approach relational conflict with a mutual need for a savior, you've heard it said there's common ground at the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're not above somebody else, have something figured out more than somebody else. And I love the the role that Joseph plays in, in this great story. Um, verse, go to verse 21. I love this. The, 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 the angel's telling Joseph, here's the role that the three of you will play, you and Mary and this baby. Ready? She will bear a son. She's going to go through all the pain of pregnancy and all the pain of childbirth, right? You'll call his name Jesus. What will he do? Save his people from their sins. Don't you just love how useless men are with childbirth? (laughs) Like, she's going to make a human and then birth it into the world. He will save the world from their sins. You'll name him. You don't even have to pick the name. I'm going to tell you the name's Jesus. Basically, all you have to do when you're asked what's his name, just say this one word. That's the only thing you have to do. Also, make sure you book the room in the inn. I'm just kidding. And I gotta be honest, like, ladies, y'all are so sweet to us because you're like, oh, you did great cheering me on in that. No, we didn't. We are useless, right? And I gotta tell you, when it comes to saving myself, my best deeds are useless. Like, what role do I play? I just speak the word Jesus in faith. Sit. I didn't do anything. To save myself from my sins? So why in the world would I look at another person who's in need of the same Jesus and stand in condemnation of them? Stand in judgment of them? And by the way, why would I place my faith in anybody else either? It's just Jesus. We're we're just all busted people limping our way towards Jesus. That's the pathway to peace. That's the hope 
of relational reconciliation. One more thing real quick. I've got to move on. For two seconds, can, can you just use your imagination? I know we don't do that enough when it comes to the scriptures. We need another C.S. Lewis in our generation. Like, Just be imaginative for just a second. As Mary started to show, can you imagine how loud the whispers were? Because religious people don't whisper quiet. Oh, my word. Right? Thank God there wasn't phones back then. Because you know Martha would have been blowing that sucker up. I have a prayer request. I'm not gossiping. I'm sharing. Can you imagine the looks? The conversations? The judgment? While she's carrying the son of the living God. And I think that's another awesome picture of what Jesus is up to in the world. Because I want to be friends with the kind of people that church people whisper about. Like I I want to have people close to me that are scandalous with what God's doing in their life. Not the people that are like, hmm, he's almost as good as me. (laughs) That's not the heart of Jesus. And man, I pray to God it won't be the heart of this family here. We are broken people in need of a rescue of grace. And let's walk with other broken people in need of a rescue of grace. Not being pretty and plastic and fake and churchy. Some of us have had a reprieve from the fake church smile because of masks. Can we just put that to death? Can we just be done with the fake church smile? Can we just be real? That's the people I want to continue to walk with for the rest of my earthly journey. And by the way, I believe that's the only way peace is found. Is with that kind of gospel realness about our desperate need for a savior. And so what's our role in that? What does that look like? A, a few weeks ago, we, we parked in Psalm 34 for a Sunday and talked about blessing the Lord at all times and his praise continually being in our mouths. And what does it look like to bless God at all times? What does it look like to praise him all the time? It says in verse 14, seek peace. I love this word and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. What am I chasing after? My rights, being treated the way I deserve, some respect around here, or am I pursuing peace? Because we're in need of the same gospel, and we're no better than one another, and we all are are broken people who make mistakes and handle stuff bad, and so there's, there's grace for that. And so let's just chase after peace. Because here's the deal. If we believe, right, glory to God on the highest, but what came down? Peace chased us on earth. Who's going to be born to us? Isaiah chapter 9. The prince of peace is going to be born to us. He's going to chase after us, to us. So if peace is chased after me, why wouldn't I chase after peace with others? Right? Like it's the the natural outflow of the the people of the gospel of grace. Is that we're also the people of the gospel of peace. That we pursue it. Now here's what pursue it means. We are not called to make peace. We're called to pursue peace. 
And there's a difference. Do you know that you can't actually bring reconciliation into a relationship? Believe only the Holy Spirit of God can do that among willing people. And the Apostle Paul gives great clarification to this in Romans chapter 12. We're almost done this morning. And I love all the wording of this verse is so important. He says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Oh, that's so important. Live peaceably with all. If that verse just said, live peaceably with all. Oh, okay. And I better make them reconcile with me. I mean, they don't think they did anything wrong. They're not really looking for reconciliation. They don't even know they hurt my feelings. But I guess I have to go do this. No, I love this. If, if it's possible, only what you're responsible for, only for your side of the story, pursue peace. Which for some of you, this Christmas might mean you're the one who picks up the phone. Says, man, because of what Jesus has done for me, I just want to speak peace over our relationship. I'm sorry that things are so cold. I'm sorry that there's been so many hurt feelings. I'm sorry that there's been so many bad things said. And for everything I've done and said in this relationship that has harmed you, I ask for your forgiveness. And they can respond with, what the gladsome tidings be are you calling me for? I want nothing to do with this. And you know what you've done? You've pursued peace. That's all the Lord asks of us. It's interesting, every single holiday for my entire adult life, there's been a little cloud over that holiday. And I don't say this with any bitterness or resentment at all, but there's been like this, oh, it's a holiday. I have to call my dad. I've been honest about how broken that relationship has been my whole life. It's just never, it was never reconciled. But it was reconciled as much as he was able Like, I pursued peace as much as was possible, as much as depended on me. And he thought things were great between us. Okay. And every year it was heavy to pick up the phone. You know what I'm talking about? But i got to be honest. With his passing a few months ago, I'm walking into this Christmas really glad that I picked up that heavy phone last Christmas and still made the awkward phone call really glad and if the prince of peace has chased after you I believe he'll give you enough peace to pick up your heavy phone too if possible so much as it depends on you to pursue peace and so glory to God in the highest and peace on earth not from earth we don't get peace from our relationships but because we orient our lives around the glory of God we are going to praise our way to peace because the prince of peace has come we're going to preach that he's still on the throne he still rules and reigns he still does all things well and he is making war for what would steal our peace I'm going to preach that to myself I'm going to preach my way to peace and then this morning I would I would challenge us let's pursue our way to peace And one of the ways that we do that for those who are not a part of the temple family is the last few Christmases, we've welcomed the community into this room for a Christmas Eve service. And because of all things COVID, we didn't feel like it was appropriate to invite a group of people into this small room this Christmas Eve. And so we're not doing a Christmas Eve service. Instead, we said, let's personally try to do something for some individuals that we can see their face and get to know their story. 
And so several weeks ago, we, we talked to the management at the mobile home community next door to us and said, hey, who are some families that you know are having a hard time right now that aren't going to have a Christmas for their kids without some help? There are five families that Lance went and met with and, and talked with and has emailed back and forth with and talked on the phone with to say, hey, put together a Christmas wish list and let us see what we can do as a church family. Now, our hope was to get those lists. We were going to build a giant Amazon wish list and share it with all of y'all and say, pick the items off the list that you as a, as a family want to get kind of like a digital uh, angel tree kind of a thing. The problem is it took the families next door a really long time to get us their lists to the point that stuff wasn't going to get here in time and be wrapped in time. And so we made a decision. We just took a step of faith. And we've spent around $3,000 on providing Christmas to five families next door. And when I say a step of faith, for those of you who look at this or who pay attention, you've maybe noticed that our our giving is pretty dramatically down. Uh, 2020 has been hard for all of us, and giving is significantly down. We, we're way under budget coming up on the end of the year. But we just think we have some neighbors who need a taste of peace. So we took a step of faith. And what we're asking this morning is, would you be an ambassador of peace for our neighbors next door and help with us? You don't get to pick the item. But whatever you would have committed to spending on an item, would you be willing to help give towards that over $3,000 step of faith that we took? If you give online, there's a drop-down that says community outreach. Everything given uh, through that line item will help pay for Christmas for five families next door. As you're walking out today, you can uh, grab one of the little envelopes by the boxes by each of the doors, and you can write community outreach on it. Whatever you put in there and drop in will will go towards um, that step of faith of providing Christmas for those families. We're asking you to partner with us in that way because we believe it's the people of God who represent the hands of peace, right? And so we're asking you to take that step with us. And partnering with us in that is a beautiful and a wonderful thing, and we're hoping and trusting that you'll do that. But way more than what we're doing for somebody that maybe we'll never even meet or have coffee with. I'm way more concerned about the peace of God within you, having peace with God himself, so that peace around you would just be an overflow of that. So if you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with God, if you're worshiping online, you can click the link that says, Can We Talk? If you're here with us as we sing this song about the Messiah who has come, you can see somebody in the prayer room in the back and say, Hey, I just don't know that I'm at peace with God. Maybe there's a person, as I've talked this morning, that you're like, hey, I think I'm supposed to pursue peace with them. And maybe you just want somebody to pray a prayer of encouragement and of God's favor over you in advance of that pursuit. We'd love to pray with you in that. However God's spoken to your heart, what we're going to do right now is we're going to say a prayer. After we pray, the the band is going to be in place and we're going to worship together. So I'm going to ask you to stand where you are as the band comes. I'm going to ask you to join me in this prayer. Father, thank you for the incredible lengths that you went to to make peace for us with your Father. In us, with ourselves, and among us, 
with one another. Thank you for the hope of shalom in a world of chaos. What we sincerely hope, desire, pray to experience and live out here is being ambassadors of peace in a in a tense and chaotic world. God, if there's anybody uh, with us today who's who's not at peace with you, would you give them the courage to reach out and begin a, a journey on the path of peace today? For somebody who feels called or commissioned or sent to pursue peace with someone, God, I pray for your grace and your favor. I pray for an open heart on the other end of that phone. We've we've glimpsed how fragile life is and how non-guaranteed tomorrow is. And God, I just pray we'd make much use of the time to pursue peace among us. God, grant your peace among these, my friends, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Messiah together.